Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about an exciting topic, Brian, spray additives. It's one of those things that a lot of times I'm talking to a farmer, do I really need that stuff in there and does it really make a difference? Believe it or not, it does. We're going to talk about what some of the specifics are and what you should look for on your farm to get more out of all the dollars that you spend on crop protection and fertility that you're going to put on foliar and so forth. We'll also be taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we'll be uh, looking at, into some emails. We've got a number of emails here, radio at agphd.com, if you've got a question you'd like to send in that way. All right, Brian, uh, you want to jump into spray additives, or do you want to talk about something else to begin the show today? Well, I've been getting a lot of questions of, or like this one, would you plant into conditions like these? And then I see emails or text messages, pictures of what the weather forecast looks like for the next week. So I'm going to continue to say this just about every day, because you, if you listen to the show every day, you've been hearing me talk about this quite a bit. I don't care what the weather says. There are a lot of people that are big believers in this uh, imbibitional chilling thing. I am not. There are a lot of people that say, oh, the soil temp has to be a certain temperature. I do not believe that. Uh, and I, I can, we can talk about this ad nauseum for the entire show so I can explain the reason why I don't believe that. But just real quickly, I will tell you, you can overcome a lot of that with good seed treatments and additional uh, things that you want to put in furrow. So with corn, we're, we've got on our farm, we're putting, we have 33 treatments on our seed corn, 33. On the soybeans, we will put 36 things on there. So when I do that, then I've got a huge advantage. I can pop the seed out of the ground way faster and I can protect it much better from disease and insects and other potential problems that I'm going to have there. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I love to plant into 40 degree, 45 degree soil temps, but just like I was talking about yesterday, soil temps can vary 15 degrees easily in one day. So all of a sudden you go, oh, I can't plant because it's 45 degree soil temps. Well, literally the next day it's 60 degree soil temps and you go, what, what, what just happened here? Why, why am I not planting? You got to get out there and get going if you're going to get done. But if you don't want to do the extra things on that seed, then no, I'm, I'm not in favor of planting into cold conditions. But again, things can vary a lot just on any given day. So even though, even if let's say the forecast looked, looked great for the next week, that does not mean you're home free. Just because the forecast looks bad for the next week, that does not mean it's going to be a disaster. Okay, so much make, it depends on what kind of seed you're putting in the ground, what defensive traits does it have, what seed treatments are you using, what things are you putting in furrow. Like, for example, we find very often in cold soil temps that insecticide in furrow pays better, fungicide in furrow pays better, fertilizer in furrow pays better. So I'm just saying, it. like for us, we farm 3,000 acres. Unfortunately, we can't plant all our ground in one day. We've got to get started early if we want to get done relatively on time. So here we are, May 2nd. We got 40 acres in the ground, I think, out of 3,000. And I'm, I'm not worried. Well, it'll get done. But I'm also not going to panic because, oh, the forecast doesn't look good. Who cares? If on Saturday when the, when the temperature outside is 70 degrees and our soil is actually fit to plant, we'll plant. And, yep, in the next couple of days, the low temp may drop to 32 degrees 
air temp. And so the soil temp is undoubtedly going to drop below 50, probably undoubtedly below 45. I am not concerned because of seed treatment and the other things we're doing. You know, it it does make such a big difference, and there's so many things that we can do. The challenge is on a year where it looks to be tough to make money, and you're thinking about, I'm going to cut some costs. And I bet I've said this a hundred times since last fall. Don't cut costs on getting your seed establishment set. You you want to make sure your seed is vigorous and gets off to a great start. You have a nice even stand. You have even emergence out there. All those things you can't make up for later on. So if you can start the year off well... Now you can get to crop canopy quicker, and that's going to help you save money on the back end, where maybe that late season application that you would have otherwise had to make, well, now you're shaded out completely and the weeds aren't coming. Or now you've got a healthier plant, and it's less susceptible to disease. Not resistant necessarily, but less susceptible to having disease because it's healthy and everything's going well. And that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. So, yes, we've got a couple of fields in the ground. It's going to be interesting, Brian, because... If I was a betting man, I would say those would be our highest two yielding fields this year, the ones that got in the ground probably a couple weeks before anything else would be in the ground. Okay, but let's talk about that real quick, too, because a lot of people will say, well, I don't want to do anything because it's not the ideal time. But you're thinking about it all wrong, is what my dad would say. He would go, okay, I can plant May 2nd, let's say. And, and get it in the ground now. And yes, it may not be as good as May 7th because the weather's better, the soil's better, whatever. But he said, you got to think about May 2nd versus May 27th. In other words, every day you start earlier is a day you finish earlier. So it's not about trying to hit the ideal date. You can't do that if you farm quite a few acres and you have to plant on 10 different days, which we will have to do on our farm. we got to have 10 days. Okay, so if you uh, wait one more day, that's adding one more day on the end. And you're just betting that, hey, are things going to be better at the end than they are at the beginning? I don't know. Here's the other thing I always tell people. It's great to get started on a day that's early because day one never goes well. So our guys on the farm should be able to easily plant 300 to 500 acres in a day. How many did we get done day one? I, I don't know. I didn't even look. I, I know they got at least 40 acres done, might have gotten 120 done. But there's no way they got 300 acres done. Okay, not a chance in the world because they're going through setup, had a different planner, had to make changes, and all that takes time. So that's why I always say just day one, even day two or three, they're not going to be nearly as good as day five. By day five, you are rolling. So got to get started early. That's my opinion. But I, I absolutely encourage you have good seed treatments and do other things if you're real worried about those soil conditions. Well, there's still some decisions being made about which crop is going to go in the ground. We'll talk about that here right after the break. And we'll also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Managing nitrogen is a challenge, and early season rains can wipe out early applications before peak demand. Proximus by Actigrow works with native microbes and soil microbial cycling to manage nitrogen. Applied at planting and side dress with UAN fertilizer, Proximus is proven to protect nitrogen and increase yield. Ask your egg retailer for Proximus with your next UAN purchase or visit superchargeyouran.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're going to talk about spray additives here in just a little bit, but uh, we've certainly got a lot of questions about what's going on in the markets and making some decisions about which crops to plant. We've got Scott Harms on right now with us with Grain PhD. Scott, thanks for joining us. Oh, good afternoon, Darren. Well, planting conditions here, uh, Scott, uh, well, I guess I would say they are tough. We're kind of hoping we'll get back in there in a couple days, though, and uh, you know, since planting's at a standstill, we just expect the market's just going to go wild. But what is it going to take to grab the market's attention on this? Well, first of all, I think under normal circumstances, uh, we probably would have seen more of an impact on prices than we have, have seen to this point. Um, but we just don't have normal circumstances with the trade deal still hanging out there and the lack of uh, demand here in the short term. Hopefully that gets resolved. Uh, very soon. But uh, no question, it's been a difficult start to the growing season. Our weather sources, they indicate that we're probably going to be in the same situation through the middle of this month. Uh, then we should start to dry out a little bit in the southeast, uh, get some uh, more normal type rains in the center part of the belt. But I think it's going to be the upper Midwest that's going to continue to have to deal with some of these above normal rain systems. Um, you know, it's a big problem, and you're right, it's not getting much traction in the market. Uh, if conditions don't improve by mid-month, uh, we'll likely see values start to reflect that. The University of Illinois came out with a study this week, a couple of their economists, and they addressed the impact of planting delays in corn and its a eventual impact, uh, potential impact on yield. And they identify May 20th as the date in which planting is considered to be late and you know the start to impact yield. And as long as we're within 10% of the normal pace uh, around May 20th, there really is not much of an impact on yield. However, if we get beyond the 10% lag in pace um, on May 20th or beyond, then the deviation from yield uh, is an, about an average of about a six bushel per acre decline. So, you know, they're using 175 as their national average. So that would be a decline down to 169. So, you ask what we, ask what it takes to get the market market's attention, and we just have to move further down the calendar, get closer to May 20th, and that should trigger it. Uh, they did point out that summer weather is the final driver in a yield. 2009 
we had uh, planting delays, but we had a cool, wet summer, and we had a record yield for that time in 2012. We had a quick pace to planting, and we all know what happened that year. So delayed planting is an indicator of yield, but not the final determinant. We did post that link up on uh, grainphd.com if anyone wants to take a look at it. It's pretty interesting. One other question we've been starting to get, and this seems really early to me, but, but Scott, we've had some farmers asking, well, what happens if guys start taking prevent plant on some of the acres? Has there been discussion in the marketplace about, with the long-range forecast here, this is certainly a possibility. Yeah, it's it's early to talk about it, as, as you say, but that doesn't stop us from talking about it. Uh, you know, I, I think the um, the average in the prevent plant the last three years has been something like two to three and a half million acres goes into prevent plant. Um, I think the trade right now, just hearing some of the analysts that I'm that I listen to, the trade is thinking around three to five million acres as it stands right now. A little bit of an increase. Um, you know, we've had some pressure in the corn, excuse me, in the soybean market the last couple of weeks. It's just been relentless. And it's almost like the farmer, the market's telling the farmers to, you know, when it comes to considering switching out of acres, corn acres, based on this wet weather, rather than shift them into soybeans, shift them right into prevent plant and try to idle those acres. Uh, so when it comes to prevent plant, every operation is going to have to deal with their own um, factors. But certainly it seems like the bean market's trying to push people to make it economically unviable for them to you know, to plant beans and, and move it into prevent plant. The largest uh, prevent plant we had was, ni- going back to 1997, was uh, 2011. We had 9.5 million acres enrolled in uh, prevent plant. And it's way too early to tell, but given the current conditions and the outlook moving forward and the current economics, it wouldn't surprise me if we get, you know, a number in that neighborhood uh, ultimately. But uh, weather will be the determining factor over the next two or three weeks. Yeah, I'm sure hoping the sunshine comes out and that doesn't become an issue for guys because we'd we'd all much rather raise a crop than get pushed back beyond a, a reasonable plant date. Okay, uh, how about how about we talk about some old crop soybeans here? Because I, I want to hear a little more about soybean options. There have been some recent sales of old crop beans, and certainly there's an interest in reopening the upside in the event of some further weather issues and or you know a positive trade deal that kind of thing. Uh, Grain PhD just sent out some ideas for reowning soybeans soybean production with soybean calls. Can you talk about that just a little bit for anyone who hasn't seen that yet? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we wanted to put together a couple of different ideas that producers could look at uh, when it comes to trying to recapture that upside uh, for beans that were sold in case we get a do, do get a bit nice soybean rally. Uh, we wanted to manage costs and risk. So the cost is, um, and, and try to get it to a time frame that, that makes the most sense. So both of the strategies that we put out there, they involve initial upfront costs but no additional risk, market exposure risk beyond that. So we chose the soybean, the August soybean call options uh, because they expire in late July. We think that gives it won't get us all the way through the pre- reproductive period, but it's going to get us through the rest of the planting season, the first part of growing season, and certainly through you know some of the heat of the summer. And um, the first strategy we chose was uh, buying just simply buying the August soybean calls. They're currently trading around twelve cents seem like they're getting cheaper every day. Um, and uh, the cost is around, so that would be around $600 per 5,000 bushels you get covered. And then once again, there's no additional cost, um, and you have unlimited upside. There's no cap on the upside. The other strategy is a bull call spread, and that's simply where we buy in a call, and then we sell an out-of-the-money call against it to help finance it and reduce that cost. In this case, we went with the August 880, bull call spread, the strategy costs it costs around eight cents, so that's about four hundred dollars per five thousand bushels you get covered. 
The difference here is you're going to be capped on the upside. That call that you sell, you can't make any money more money beyond that. So 920 would be the cap on it. The maximum you can gain is the difference between the two strike prices uh, near expiration. So in, in other words, you're investing $0.08 cents to make $0.40, cents, uh, the difference between nine, uh, the 880 and 920, 920. So you're investing $0.08 cents to make $0.40, cents, your net profit is going to be $0.32. Cents. All right. That all makes sense to me, Scott. And and when we start talking about options, we get a lot of questions from farmers that say, okay, I haven't utilized this. It sure looks like a good tool for me. What are some of the main questions that, that I should ask a professional here when I'm determining what strategy would be best for my farm? Well, the first discussion we have, we talk about is what kind of time frame uh, do you want to get covered? It gives us the best chance of success. Keep in mind that the shorter the time period that you invest in the option, the cheaper the cost is going to be, and the longer the time frame, the more it's going to cost you. So we try to find whatever where we, where we think the best potential is in the market, uh, whether we have to go out long-term or short-term. The next discussion we have is what's your objective on the strategy? Some of these, some people go in and they buy call options because they have hedges in place, and they just they they don't want they want to protect against some catastrophic weather event down the road, similar to 2012, for example, where the market just explodes. And in that case, we'll buy options that are further out of the money because there it's just pure insurance, deep out of the money insurance uh, on those call options. Uh, if if your objective is you you maybe price some beans, you price some corn, and you're you're um, you want to try to get another fifteen to twenty cents out of the market, uh, then you know we'll step into an option strategy that's a little closer to the money, and um, you know that allows us to participate in the market a little you know a little a lot more quicker. And uh, then finally, we'll go to cost. You know, how much do you want to invest? And there's so many alternatives out there when it comes to using options on commodities. You know, we we can always find one that fits your price point. We can't can't move the market, but we can get you in a position. You know, that where you're ready for when the market does take place. So, those are the main things that we go over with people when we try to put together a plan. And then, you know, it's uh, you know get the strategy on, sit and hold. You know, we've got a lot of great information at grainphd.com. Scott, could you tell us about that just real quick? we got about uh, another 30 seconds here. Yeah, we've posted some new things on Grain PhD here recently. The option strategy that I just discussed are on there. Uh, that link to the University of Illinois uh, uh, study regarding planning delays is on there. So there's, up to, there's timely information, updated market information on there. Then there's the old standbys. There's quotes, free quotes on there. There's, um, you know, uh, uh, learn, educational tools, learning, you know, how to place a hedge, what it means, you know, your basis, uh, how your basis comes into play, things like that. There's also an area where you can sign up for the free GrainBridge software that's available. You hook hook yourself up there and get that information for free. We'll help you set, uh, get the initial stages, get you set up. Been talking with Scott Harms with Grain PhD. Scott, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. All right, take care. Talking soybean option strategies for reowning. That's something uh, kind of interesting. Hopefully the market does turn around. That would be great. All right, we're going to talk about how to make your spray applications work a little bit better with some detailed information on spray additives. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. With the success of the Case IH Tiger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us. Because Case IH offered the first five axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, 
pointy blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com slash tracks. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Waterhemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like waterhemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You know what's convenient? If you're a soybean grower, what's convenient is Zidua Pro Herbicide. That's because you get... Fast and complete burndown together with up to two weeks longer residual than other herbicides and three sites of action for broad-spectrum weed control, plus built-in resistance management. All in one convenient jug. And that turns out to be very inconvenient for pigweed, water hemp, and mare's tail. Contact your local BASF rep today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, talking about spray additives. And this is one of those things that we get a lot of questions on, because some products that you're going to be spraying, talking about crop protection products, some of them, well, they've already got the additives inside. Others, you need to add something to, to, to help them in one way or another perform in the field. Real happy to have Jim Reese with us right now with Precision Labs. Jim, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for the invite, Brian. Darren, good to good to know both of you guys are in the uh, in the studio today. Yeah, yeah, and actually, one of us is working right now, Jim. Brian, I don't know what he's doing. He's just kind of off in a daze over there, just trying to take it all in. I think <laughs> got lots got lots to do today. We have we have a lot going on on our farm, and uh, uh, just trying to get prepared as we move forward here. And as we think about that, Jim, you know, you talk about how to make a lot of these products work better. And right now it's, it's tough to make money on the farm. That's, that's why I got to work more hours now. But, but anyway, I want, I want whatever I spray to work better. 
So there are some new products out there here in just the last couple of years, like Enlist One and Extendamax and Genia. They require some different adjuvants. Can you maybe talk just a little about that and maybe about how adjuvant technology has changed here in the last few years? Yeah, so it's really been a big shift the last couple of years into focus on drift reduction, right? And there, unfortunately, there are some unintended consequences with drift reduction, so we have to be a little bit careful. Um, and the unintended consequence I'm talking about is uh, as we make bigger and bigger droplets to fight drift, um, the consequence is that we end up with less coverage, we end up with bigger drops that tend to bounce. So there is such a thing as drift control that's too good, um, and the result will be we control that's not so good. And quite truthfully, when we decided to go out and start spraying, we did, we wanted to kill weeds, right? First, that was our first goal, drift control second. Um, so there are adjuvants now designed specifically for dicamba-based products, especially in the drift reduction category. Probably still going to need a water conditioning agent with those systems, Um so you're going to need drift reduction and water conditioning agent to make sure that you maximize the uh, weed control. And then actually with the Enlist system, um, not as heavy on the DRA piece, but you're definitely going to need to water condition, and maybe with an ammonium sulfate-based product. Um, but 2,4-D is vulnerable to water hardness, more so than dicamba. And, of course, Roundup in either system is going to need help uh, being protected from hard water ions. Yeah, that's one of the things that a lot of farmers ask questions about is just, wow, I really haven't paid attention to the water as much. I'm more concerned about, well, do I need something to help stick to the leaves, that kind of approach. Uh, how big a deal is the water quality? So, I, well, with weak acid herbicides like uh, glyphosate and dicamba and 2,4-D, uh, water hardness is a pretty big issue. I don't get too wound up about uh, pH because pH is really... Um, an issue more about chemicals, uh, crop protection products being broken down by either what they call alkaline hydrolysis from high pH or acid hydrolysis, which just basically shortens the product's half-life. Um, that really applies to just a handful of crop protection products. So if you find yourself just jerking pH around um, because somebody told you it was a good idea, it may or may not, most likely doesn't necessarily apply to the chemistry you're using. Um, after all, just not many fungicides or insecticides are vulnerable to either acid or alkaline hydrolysis. The bigger issue is water hardness, and having a good idea of exactly what you're fighting for water hardness um, is a really good idea. Um, it could be anywhere from, gosh, 120 parts per million of water hardness come in your well at the farm, or it could be over 500 parts per million, and that has a big impact on performance. One last question for you, Jim, today. It's cold, and I know that as soon as farmers in our area get out in the field, they're going to be thinking about burn down and trying to, to do something effective out there. When the weather's cooler, how do you get those products to penetrate into that leaf and, and do the job we want them to do? Yeah, so it's um, when it's cooler, I'm not so worried about leaf penetration because usually cooler temperatures, um, moist conditions, it's not the the barrier then may not necessarily be the cuticle, right? Because it's not that hard to guard against transpiration loss. Probably the bigger issue is transport across cell membranes. So um, this is where water conditioners play a big role, and this is where ammonium sulfate is going to play a big role in making sure that uh, that it's helping move the herbicide across the cell membrane to the site of activity, uh, whether the plant wants to help it much or not. 
Yeah, there there are just so many things going on out in the field, and unfortunately, you can't put all those things into a jug with the product that you want that's going to work in every situation since conditions change, and it's just something to uh, just have a good conversation with your agronomist and see, all right, what is going to make the difference for me? been talking with Jim Reese with Precision Labs on some of the issues going on out there. There's certainly more. We could talk all day, Jim. We'll have to have you back on. I'd love to do that. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Got Eric Prestko with us right now down in Georgia. And, uh, Eric, you know, when you think about trial work at the University of Georgia, compared to uh, what we're trying to do up here in the great white north, it seems to be quite <laughs> different. you got some different challenges there. Uh, yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, listening to your previous callers, and, you know, I was, I've got corn in the V6 stage right now. We just finished making all our most of our post-emergence treatments in the last few days. So that's where we're at uh, down in these parts. So we, we've got corn growing, peanuts going, and, and cotton going in the ground. Things are rolling pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty fun to uh, to be at that stage of the game. And we'll be there before you know it. It, it won't be. It yeah. seems like forever when you're waiting to plant, but then then the season right. just goes in a big hurry. Uh, so how about now? You're, you're starting to get some heat, I would assume. And when you get warmer conditions, that changes things too. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, you know, I, if I could make one quick comment, listen to you. I was listening to the previous comment. I think uh, he made some excellent points. And we're talking about ad- adjuvants and whatnot. When the, I think the best thing we can get growers to do is take a water sample, right? If everybody would uh, take just a few few more minutes, it's very inexpensive in the grand scheme of things. You could really get a better feel for the need for certain adjuvants by knowing what your pH is and knowing what your hardness is. You know, 20 buck water samples a is a is a small input compared to everything else that's going on at the farm. Totally, but, but totally agree. Yeah, so that's one of the first things I always tell everybody when we're talking about adjuvants is, hey, get a water sample and let's go from there. Yeah, it's funny as we talk to to guys, Eric. They we just ask, well, what's your water like? And most guys are like, oh, well, I don't know. We got a good water source. Well, yeah, but yeah. T- <laughs> tell me about it. All right. And at the same time, you know, it's one piece of the puzzle, right? It's it's uh, there's certainly no substitute for being using the right product, using the right rate, and being timely. You know, and then having adjuvants in there. But if we can do everything right, that's certainly going to help us. But sometimes weather, whatever keeps us out of the field. But uh, you know, we don't want to overplay water. But it certainly is one piece of the puzzle that we can tweak if if we're trying to do the best job we can controlling weeds. You know, with corn already at V6, Eric, for for growers in your area, and not everybody, of course, but but you've got some a little bigger, some a little smaller, I'm sure. It's it's near time for fungicides, and, and about the time you start seeing a lot of that disease pressure that, wow, I, I know in certain areas of your state, of Georgia, there's there's some pretty heavy pressure out there. So what what do you recommend as guys are, are putting on fungicides, trying to get good coverage, and, and trying to make it last? Well, the you know the fungicide issue is interesting. Right? Normally, we're going to see later applications, not maybe so. Early. I don't know that we've seen the benefit of the earlier applications in this part of the country. So a lot of those are going to go out later, a little bit later. But again, I think you know we've got we struggle with several diseases that it, it just kind of random when they occur and when they come in. But uh, you know, using the best product, using the best water volume. You know, always here's another. You guys probably hear this as well. Your farmers, everybody likes to spray ten gallons of water. You're not, and that's probably one of the cheapest things you can put in your tank is water. Other than you got to haul it. So using fifteen gallons of water, for example, is really helpful in a lot of cases. Now there's some some products that that do fine in ten gallons, 
and that's not an issue. But in a lot of cases when we're talking about herbicides, a few extra gallons of water is going to help us a little bit, and you're not paying for it other than hauling it. Nope, nope, that's for sure. And a lot of times when we hear somebody say, well, I'm using 10 gallons of water, it's like, well, how many acres are you covering with that tank full? Well, how are you getting over 100 acres on a 700-gallon right. tank here? <laughs> So, well, I know, you know, I know why I've got a couple of growers that I work with, but they're big, you know, we have these, much like y'all do, we have these big, large sprayers, you know, 800 gallon tanks, uh, 110 foot booms. You know, when you're doing 10 gallons to the acre, you can get 80 acres in there and it makes everybody's life easier, right? That's for sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, been interesting how ag has changed, and one of the ways that it has is great big equipment, no doubt about it. Well, hey, I've yep. been talking with Eric Prosco at the University of Georgia. Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hey, glad to visit with you guys. Look forward to talking to you again. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com to learn more. The Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin spray pattern with air inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, helping you spray better. Using NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. This year, you already made one smart choice by planting glufosinate-tolerant seeds. Now make another, Interline Herbicide from UPL. Interline controls tough, resistant weeds like pigweed, water hemp, mare's tail, and ragweed in glufosinate cropping systems. And with our new manufacturing facility, there'll be plenty of Interline to go around. So play it smart. Choose cost-effective Interline Herbicide. To learn more, contact your UPL distributor or sales representative. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA-registered seed treatment for the prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold now starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about spray additives. we got Kent Woodall with us right now. Uh, Kent uh, is down in Missouri right now. All right, Kent, you can't compete with Eric that was just on from Georgia with six or V6 corn, can you? Negative. We're still trying to get in the field a lot of places here. Brian and uh, what I have seen locally that got in about two or three weeks ago is Oh, V1 at best. You know, as we start, I guess it doesn't matter what stage we're at. We're, we're somewhere during the growing season. we got a lot of foliar sprays that need to be made, still some pre's that need to get out there too. And we're talking about adjectives, or I'm sorry, adjuvants. Sorry, adjuvants. Um, there's a lot of different ones out there. And I guess uh, several things to talk about here. When we look at uh, what's in the jug, a lot of growers say, well, why don't they just put it in the jug? Uh, can you explain that one, Kent, why, why some are in the jug and some just aren't? Certainly. Um, I think earlier some of your other speakers mentioned the fact that some of the water conditioner benefits, and, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be just that, but it can be other uh, activator adjuvant groups and so forth. Um, to formulate everything into a, uh, let's just say, a two-and-a-half-gallon jug with the right adjuvant needs, to make that pesticide work properly, you might need it to be a five-gallon jug. Okay? So by the time you use the right amount of surfactant, the NIS or COC, or maybe it's an MSO, or maybe it's a blend, um, could be a water conditioner or AMS, you would have a, a voluminous amount of actual packaging occurring from a basic manufacturer. And then we talk about all the conditions of, you know, across the country right now. Um, you know, we're at spiked corn, V1 maybe. Uh, Brian, I bet you don't have any corn in the ground up there yet. But um, <laughs> things change through the season. Like your fungicide question, I may want to use a CLC for uh, better adhesion or better penetration in a, a tassel crop versus a, a V6 crop. So I would never have, theoretically, I'd never have the right adjuvant with the right pesticide. So all of these adjuvants, as we call them, uh, coin words, surfactants, and surfactants just a surface active agent doing something with the water. Uh, the old coin word people would say sometimes is making water work. So, you know, it, it does, and it helps deliver the product. In this case, a pesticide or herbicide. It could be an insecticide, but pick one. helps it deliver it to the target by meaning that Brian, I, I may have missed part of this earlier, but um, managing drift, keeping the right droplet size on the leaf, getting good retention on the leaf, and basically keeping the pesticide in place so it can do its job. So, Kent, so, so Kent what's talk, talk to us just a little bit about some of these changes here lately. I've been discussing a lot with a lot of growers about enlist and mm -hmm. extend versus, let's say, a fungicide and, and all these differences. How do you help sort through that with people? Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun these days. With the new technologies, um, Ingenia, well, let's just say any of the DTS crops, dicamba-tolerant soybean crops, whichever herbicide, and then the enlist uh, traits, you really have, are required by law because of potential off-target movement or Environmental Species Act uh, is the root cause 
um, to go to a website, Enlist.com or Ingenia.com or Extendamax and so forth and so on. Uh, it's easy, readily searchable. And then do a matrices and question what can be mixed with a given product. And it has to be approved off of that given product or that website. And if it's not, then it's not legally to be used there. Additionally, some of those may require what they call in those websites a DRA, Drift Reduction Adjuvant or Additive. And that's to help physically minimize spray drift. So, Brian, it, it's it's a little cumbersome. There are some fast routes or cheat sheets that uh, people can use, but if you follow the law, you have to check with that website. And it, some of the new websites have been updated. Extendamax is now has a matrices look where you can drop down boxes and look across and pick your products. It's a little better than it has been. The rest of them are just listings. If it's on that website, then you can tank mix what you need for a given product and a given application, Kent, regardless what, of technology or herbicide. Yep. Well, uh, what else did you want to cover today? Do you have anything, uh, any other topics for us? I'm here for you, man. Whatever you want to want to cover, we're <laughs> at your service. <laughs> well, when you think about you know all the different products that are out there, and it's it's super important that we add the right ones in on these spray mixes to get good performance. Especially this year, I think Kent more than more than uh, well last year for sure. We had pretty good weather for the most part last year in a lot of areas. This year, yep. it seems like the weather is nothing but a challenge. It's the kind of year where, where all these different choices of spray additives make such a big difference. I agree. I think, um, you know, you want to do it right. If there's an option on a given label, maybe it's a NIS option or a COC option, as we go up in the different types of adjuvants that we use, I would use the one that's a little more aggressive uh, just be to ensure uh, the cost-benefit ratio of what I'm spending. It's not that much more relative to another adjuvant. So I would probably go to the next step in the options of a label, i.e., if you're going to run an NIS or a COC, I'd probably step up to the COC or HSOC blends. Uh, minimize the risk, maximize the performance. Uh, you don't want to have to come back in two or three weeks and have to touch up again. We've been so, talking. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say we've been talking to Kent Woodall. He is with Rosens. Um, hey, hey, Kent, this is great stuff. We'll have to have you back on again. Uh, there it will be a lot more to talk about once we get some of these crops up and start doing some different tank mixes and everything. So thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Certainly. All right. Well, it is time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag. You know, Brian, we get so many questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag, and there's there's just a lot of different things. Um, I got one from Ed. He said, just a comment. He said, I really like the information that you're putting out online right now where I can get it at any point. Uh, also wanted to mention, I went to your field day last year, really enjoyed that you had such a great field day. Uh, what are the plans for this year? Well, we've got those at agphd.com. Uh, a lot of... We have a lot of plans. We'll have more plots. We'll have more guest speakers. We'll have more high-yield farmers. 
one of the things I enjoy the most is bringing in some high-yield farmers, and then they actually have plots that they manage on our farm all season long. So we probably have, I don't even know, 12, 15 of those guys coming in this year, including the world record holder in soybeans, the world record holder in corn, the world record holder in wheat, the world record holder in barley, uh, and again, a number of other really high-yield farmers. Got a lot of other great guest speakers, um, research plots, uh, new brand new equipment. There will be some product launches there, just new technologies. It, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'd really encourage you uh, come to the IPHD Field Day every year. You'll see lots of new and different stuff and get to learn a lot and talk to fantastic farmers from around the country and around the world. Hey, thanks, Ed. We really appreciate that and hope to see you again this year. Got one from Bradley, and he said, I'm wondering if gibberellic acid in products like Rise Up Smart Grass goes in through the ground and through the roots, or does it go in through the above-ground growth? The grass has already started growing here in Wisconsin, but looking cold and rainy for the next week or two, uh, should we put our jib acid out, uh, even if the possibility is it could be washed off the leaves by rain soon after? Hey, Bradley, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. And the good news for you is it does go in through foliage and it also does go in through roots. Yeah, it does. But just think about this. How big are your roots right now? So in other words, if you in effect broadcast this so it lays on the ground, how much is going to get into the plant? Not much. So you're way better off to try to get it on the plant. You'll you'll do a better job getting it into the plant that way. Certainly, you could use uh, this as a seed treatment, as an in-furrow, but a lot of times we're talking about early in the year, we see that the weather is looking cool, and we spray it foliar. Well, we'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag coming up right after this. fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! This is one commercial for two herbicides, so we'll have to make this quick, okay? Here goes. Satellite HydroCap is great for pre-emergent control of grasses and broadleaf weeds and has a long residual life. New Satellite Flax, featuring UPL's patented transverse technology, delivers a high level of active ingredient over an extended soil coverage area. Both offer excellent mixing and handling characteristics and are valuable options for your resistant management plants. Whew. For more information on satellite herbicides, contact your crop protection consultant or your dealer. Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup ready-to-extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. 
Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. You can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or you can find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Going from Kyle, and he said, I'm looking to use a 918-9 liquid fertilizer in furrow, and I've been advised that I should use one with a low pH level around 5.5 to try to avoid tie-up. The one that I have locally is a 6.5 to 7 pH. I'm just wondering, do you see any issue or advantage to look at something different? Well, there are a lot of people that have used acid-based fertilizers over the years when they are in high pH soils to hopefully at least just temporarily lower the pH in that root zone and create a little bit more availability of some nutrients. In terms of are you going to tie it up any more or less in the long term, probably not going to make a whole lot of difference in the short term. Maybe there's a little bit less tie up, but I really don't think you're going to see a whole lot of difference. Now, here's the whole thing. We talk to people all the time about just run trials on your farm. You can answer your own question because let's face it, I don't know what your soils are. I didn't get your soil tests or anything like that. I bet you that either product will perform similarly. So we've done a lot of this work too. Um, that's you hear us talk often about like ProGerminator and SureK and some of these really low salt products. We just have had better luck with those products on our farm and for a lot of people that we work with. And the only way we figured that out is we ran side-by-sides over a couple, three years. Not only did we take it to yield, but we did field evaluations, observed it, dug up some roots, and I guess I would just encourage you to do the same thing, and then you can answer this question yourself. But again, I don't think you're going to find a whole lot of difference in the two 918.9s, I should say. All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, got one here from Tony in Missouri. He said, I've got sorghum Sudan grass I'm going to no-till in. Uh, I've got mare's tail and some other winter annual type weeds. Besides Roundup, what could I spray safely uh, I'm assuming the mare's tail is probably Roundup resistant. Uh, yeah. So whenever we're talking about sorghum sedan grass, you know, I'm thinking about that a lot like I am pasture, Darren. So we don't have a tremendous amount of options. Kind of the old standbys have been 2,4-D, a little bit of atrazine. You just kind of have to be careful with that. But, you know, 
sorghum sedan grass isn't on a crazy amount of acres. And so that's part of the reason why a lot of the big companies that produce these herbicides don't even go into, hey, let's try to get this labeled on this particular crop. If it was corn, everybody's all about corn. Everybody's all about soybeans. Everybody's all about wheat. But sorghum sedan grass just doesn't have the acres. And yeah, beyond you start talking 2,4-D and, uh, and atrazine, you know, there, there just aren't a lot of choices. Yep, I agree. Unfortunately, there aren't a ton of choices there. But yeah, burning it down with something with no residual like a Gramoxone or throwing in you know, some other tank mix partners with no residual are, are good things to do in front of crops that don't have a whole lot of options. Right. So, you know, the other thing that you'll find is there are going to be labels like Husky, for example, that's going to say um, you can use it, but you got to be careful because there are some of these varieties they're going to be sensitive to it so just check on the labels talk to people in your area and see what other options anybody has found because yes there are also some supplemental labels that'll end up coming out um, they can declare emergencies for certain products and then it might be labeled in one state or one you know county even so I, again just across the board i'm still thinking 2,4-d and atrazine but there could be more options for you in your area thanks for the question get one from punam he says i'm going to grow corn in some sort of a pot i'm wondering what size the container should be you know punam that's a great question i have not done that other than last year <laughs> for a field day we did grow some corn in five gallon pails and things turned out fine we had 10-foot-tall corn that put on good-sized ears, and we did it in five-gallon pails. So I would say that would be a it's minimum size. That's awfully small. Yeah, that would be a minimum size. As a general statement, you want to think about how big the plant's going to be above ground, and you need that much space below ground. There, the root system can be that big. There are there have been corn roots found 20 feet down in the ground. Right, but you don't so, need a 20-foot no, deep pot to grow no, corn No, you don't. In. You don't. I, I, but, again, I, I've seen it in a five-gallon pail. It'd be better if you had something larger. Uh, well, but, it depends on what we're trying to accomplish here. If, we're, if it's just for demonstration, yes, who cares? If you absolutely were trying to maximize yield, I think you need a little more than a five-gallon bucket, though. No, I agree. That, that'd be my recommendation, too. Thanks for the question. Come on from Levi in Nebraska. He said, I'm a big fan of your show. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And you've kind of talked about this, but, but I, I want to ask this question again. What is the ideal pH of water uh, for your tank mix if you're going out to foliar feed corn and soybeans? And then do you use a handheld tester to test the mix each time? Hey, thanks for the question, Levi. You know, when when it comes to the pH, when you're trying to foliar feed, we've had better luck as we've gone to lower pH. And this is something that we're still doing more work on on the farm. And, and again, this year we'll we'll do some more research. But uh, from, from many of the things that we've read and learned about, uh, we've found a pH down in the mid-fives to be pretty effective for delivering products into the leaf at that point. And the reason why is because it's the pH of the, the plant all the way down. And as you're moving down that plant, you, you need the pH to be a little bit lower to be able to effectively move it. Now, we'll see how that plays out with our work again this summer, but that's what we're going to try. And we've got a handheld tester. You can buy them. They're not terribly expensive. Yeah, but, but you can also get the test strips to see uh, what you're doing, you can get a big roll of it for like 10 bucks. Yeah, and the whole thing is your water pH isn't going to vary that much. 
In other words, if you test it in the spring and then you test no, it in the summer the and you test mixes. it in the fall. With the different mixes. Well, that, yes, That's where you're going to yes. change things. But right? I'm just saying, you know, once you, you put the stuff in there, the next time, the next batch you do and 10 batches later, it's going to be the same. So I'm really not that worried about once you get going and once you kind of get it set. The other thing that I'll tell you, like for us, we used to run well water. Well, we moved our setup, our, our main uh, uh, spray building, over to our field day site. Well, on our field day site, they don't have well water. We have rural water over there. Well, the rural water is over a point higher in pH. So while things were working fine with the well water, then all of a sudden with the rural water, hey, what's different here? <laughs> okay, well, look at the pH and look at some of the, the minerals that are in there and everything else. I mean, it is different than well water. So if you're using different water sources, I'm just trying to say, then that's absolutely going to make a difference in kind of what you're looking for in your treatments. All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Got one from Renee, and she said, I, I'm curious how you think using no-till could possibly be better than tilling, considering that you have to spray chemicals to control the weeds. Aren't the chemicals a bad thing for the soil? Isn't this why organic farming is on the rise? Well, we can talk all day long about organic farming, but let's face it, there are chemicals everywhere in everything. I mean, just, you're wearing clothes today. Well, guess what? There are chemicals in those clothes. There are chemicals, I'm sitting on a chair in front of a desk. There are chemicals in all those things. So, you know, all kinds of things are chemicals. What I care about is, what's the safety of those chemicals that we are discussing? So, for example, when I think about the products that we're using on our farm, I'll just take Roundup, for example. That works on an enzyme found only in plants. It's not going to kill a human being. The LD50 for for glyphosate is 28 times higher than the LD50 for caffeine. It would take 28 times more glyphosate to kill me than caffeine. Okay, that's safe. Um, when I look at the pyrethroid chemistry, that's that comes from the chrysanthemum flower. When I look at Callisto and all these HPPDs, well, like Callisto comes from a tree that comes from the Callistamone tree. Am I that worried about the safety of that? No. And, you know, there are, I'm not saying everybody should go no-till. I'm also not saying everybody should go conventional till. I'm just simply saying, you know, we got to look at the safety of individual products that are getting used, number one. And number two, the big advantage with reduced tillage is reduced erosion. We can build soil organic matter faster. We can end up with healthier soil overall much more quickly. So there is a lot that's going on there. Uh, if we do the right things, we have a much better future in farming. Yeah, I agree, Brian. We're not taking one side or the other saying no-till is better or conventional till is better or anything like that, but there are pros and cons to each of those systems, and I don't think it's quite as easy as, oh, it's a chemical, it's horrible, it must be bad, and it's going to be bad long-term. I, I don't agree with that at all. Hey, thanks for the questions today, and thanks for everybody who called in. It was a really fun show talking about spray additives today. Thanks to you for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.